Max Verstappen scores an easy victory at the French Grand Prix after Charles Leclerc crashes out of the lead of the race. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is round 12, the French Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. For around 17 laps, Charles Leclerc was right in the fight for victory in France. He'd held the lead from pole and put up a rock-solid defence against Max Verstappen despite a straight-line speed deficit with which few gave him a chance of succeeding. Verstappen pulled the undercut trigger early. Red Bull Racing was gambling a super-long final stint against taking the lead of the race. But Ferrari kept its cool, leaving Leclerc out to build an offset for his own final stint. But that final stint never came. On lap 18, he suffered a snap of oversteer at turn 11 and was in the wall, taking his championship hopes with him. Verstappen cruised to an easy victory, while the safety car called from the crash neutralised strategy for most of the rest of the field, delivering a long final stint of significant tyre management. To debrief a catastrophic day for Leclerc and Ferrari's title ambitions, I'm joined by BBC F1 commentator Jack Nichols. Jack, so good you could join me to wrap up the French Grand Prix and the 2022 season, which is now over. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's lovely to be here. What a dramatic end of the season we had. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm touched to be your final guest of the year. <laughs> it is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to feel. A bit flat, I guess, after the, the last race. I'm impartial, of course. I'm just here for a good championship. But... What are we? What's the vibe now? It's weirder too that we're in between two races, isn't it? So we've got to reconvene again in a couple of days, and so everyone's got to look each other in the eye. But what's the what's the feeling now? Do you think it's just been such a weird season, hasn't it? Where every race has been quite good, and every mm. race you've not known if Verstappen or Leclerc is going to win it, but somehow that has created a scenario where Verstappen is sixty three points ahead, <laughs> and you're like, well, how? how? <laughs> but Ferrari have had all the pole positions. So surely they've got the fastest car, but obviously Leclerc's won two races from his seven poles, which is an abysmal record. He's he's only won five races from uh, his 16 career pole positions. So it's quite remarkable, really, how, how Ferrari find different ways of, of throwing it away each weekend. And the thing is, is the championship over? No, because 63 points is redeemable in the second half of the season. But you just have no real faith in Ferrari that they that they can do that. If it was Mercedes in this position, Mercedes and Hamilton, you're like, oof, game on. If they've got the fastest car in qualifying and, you know, you're like, game on. But then equally, Mercedes and Hamilton wouldn't have been in this position in the first place. So it's a real frustration that the championship is is going this way. Um, as you say, I'm, I'm entirely impartial. Uh... I just want to see a good fight for the for the championship and good races, and hopefully we'll continue to get good races because they have been good all year. But the the way the championship's turning out is very bizarre. And just to bring you up on that as well, because it's it has been interesting to reflect back on the first half of the year because we have got these two cars. In theory, they're pretty close to one another, different strengths and weaknesses, all that kind of thing, and two drivers who are probably around about as quick as one another. I mean, Leclerc's pole record this season sort of speaks for itself, but it sort of struck me in the French Grand Prix that we haven't had that many duels between them. And, you know, we kind of worked up for one in France, right? Different strategies, different, you know, all that perfect stuff for this kind of podcast. We had Saudi Arabia, I guess, and 
I mean, technically, Leclerc passed uh, Verstappen three times in Austria, but they, you know, very different strategies, all that kind of thing. Such a contrast to last year, isn't it? Do you, do you feel like that's really been missing from this season? Is that the thing? Um, I think that uh, there, there was Bahrain as well. They swapped mm. places a little bit in Bahrain, didn't they? But it, but it does tend to be... It tends to be Verstappen chases Leclerc and then he gets ahead mm. and then it's done. We sort of saw that in the sprint race in Imola, kind of saw that in Miami as well, where uh, Verstappen chased Leclerc in the early stages, then got ahead and, and disappeared. I think that is what's... Mi- and I think I think that uh, there's just no real... A lot of people have made sort of stuff, let's say, about um, the way Verstappen is fighting Leclerc and the way Red Bull are fighting Ferrari this year. Because it isn't the same as last season. It isn't the same angst. There isn't the same... uh, uh, not dirtiness, but you know what I mean by mm-hmm. by that the, the 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 sort of win at all costs attitude, and I think that's just because Red Bull and Verstappen don't need to win at all costs. I don't think they fear Ferrari in the way that they maybe not feared Mercedes, but sort of respected them so highly and and were so you know had been the target for so long that it meant everything for them to beat Mercedes specifically. Whereas I don't think they feel that kind of pressure from from Leclerc and, and Ferrari. And so that's why it's just been a bit more of a, you know, politely tempered <laughs> championship so far. And yet we're not getting much wheel to wheel between them. You're right. The, the first the first move, the, the first move in Austria was fun mm-hmm. with, with Leclerc and Verstappen. But then as soon as Verstappen pitted and went on to that sort of offset strategy, then all the other passes were, were fairly straightforward. But yeah, I think that's something that's missing. But but it's also just that it's just that jeopardy of them being anywhere near each other in the championship. It's the mongrel. Is that a phrase used around the world, or am I? There's no mongrel in this championship. Do you say that? Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't think so. Mm, not getting a good response. All right, <laughs> see if that makes the cut afterwards. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the positives, I guess. Before we obviously we're going to talk a lot about Ferrari. This show, I think, was originally envisaged as a show to just sort of ride off Ferrari often, and sort of proving it's, itself, but. Let's talk about some of the positives, and that's that the this first part of this race, after Leclerc got pole and they managed to pull off that slipstream strategy, which sometimes doesn't really work, but it worked beautifully this weekend, his defence was really good, right? Like, I, I feel like before the race, not too many people were giving him a chance of just straight up defending against Verstappen in this faster Red Bull car. Uh, I mean, that was a really great sign as well, and we've already touched on that qualifying record about... The fact that things can click for Leclerc and Ferrari together, can't they? And we saw what I thought was the start of what was going to be a really unlikely champion, uh, not championship tilt, obviously, but victory tilt here. Obviously, Verstappen then went for the undercut and it seemed like maybe that was going to swing back towards him. In the end, he got an easy victory. But can there be heart taken from the fact that for 10 laps or 13 laps, things looked really good? Like, things looked really raceable. Yes, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think that that is something big to take out of the out of the weekend because in the early stages when Verstappen was within DRS range, you were mm. like, "Oh, this is sort of a, a matter of time." It felt like a matter of time, and it's what, as you say, everyone was kind of expecting with the Ferrari, the way they you know chew up their tires and um, the lack of straight line speed. It seemed a no brainer that Verstappen would get past one way or another, but he. Um, he couldn't. DRS um, Leclerc managed to break that that DRS uh, range as well, so he managed to get sort of a second and a half up the road, which which meant that Verstappen didn't manage to threaten. He only really went for it one time into into turn eleven at Boste, and 
it just would have been so interesting to see where they mm. would come out because, like you say, Verstappen went for the undercut and Ferrari stayed out for a couple more laps. They didn't immediately cover off. They stayed out a couple more laps and Leclerc was, I believe, pushing presumably on an in-lap when he, when he actually spun off. And so it would have been really... In- there was a graphic that came up at the time just before he binned it where he was 27.1 seconds ahead mm. or something and it's 27 seconds to make a pit stop. So it would have been really, really tight. And I think you're right in that it it did look winnable for for Ferrari that Grand Prix, which I didn't think it would at the start. And okay, we were only what twelve or thirteen laps into the into the race, but it did look like they had a chance of taking victory. But they managed to find a way to not take victory, of course. But it, it they 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 had a chance at least, and especially on and especially on a, especially on such a, a track with high tire mm. degradation and you know, reasonably hot track temperatures. That's That's got to be a positive for them. Yeah, a track that genuinely challenged in at least a conditional way, I guess, the car. I mean, maybe not the most technically incredible circuit we've got on the calendar, but something, I mean, the heat always seems to cause trouble at this track and they manage that relatively well. Whether or not it's 25 points or 18 points, I mean, you retired from the lead. I guess we're going to call that 25 points. I want to talk about his response afterwards because in some senses... It was a little bit surprising, not because he was so hard on himself, because that's very much in his character, I guess. We've known that about him almost since he debuted in Formula 1 and he had excuses to make these kind of mistakes. But the fact that he pinpointed himself as the reason that he might not win the championship this year, despite what we've seen up until this point, and despite this being really his only first... His first massive mistake. He made that mistake in Imola and he pointed that out as well, so he's got a long memory for that. Do driver mistakes count for more in this situation, or is it just the fact that he got out of the car and is so down on himself all the time? I think Leclerc is such an interesting character because he's such almost the antithesis of everything that you're kind of told a racing driver should be or everything that racing drivers are told that they should Mm. be. I can't imagine many drivers... um, coming out after the race and saying, you know, I don't deserve to win the championship if I drive like this, basically. Mm. And I don't remember many drivers, you know, reflecting on it so much and being so harsh on themselves. And obviously there's a, there is a time and a place for, uh, you know, self-criticism. But, and I'm no sports psychologist, obviously. <laughs> but it just seems to fly in the face of everything we know about professional athletes, the way Leclerc behaves. Like the whole the whole thing of professional athletes is you're meant to have this indestructible self-confidence. You're meant to believe in you. And if you make a mistake, you just sort of, you know, you learn from it and you move on and you and you, and 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 to be that self-critical in public, you're you're then thinking, well how how can this guy not have self-doubt? The way the way he the way he talks and the way he, um, you know, speaks about his errors and speaks about, you know, the team, even going into Austria. I remember him saying, yeah, the last five races have been a disaster. And you're like, what <laughs> What sort of mindset is that to go into a F1 race with? I like it. I think it's refreshing. I think it's honest. I think, I think it should be, you know, applauded. But is that the way to to go about things as a professional athlete when you don't see any other athletes doing that? You compare him to Nico Rosberg, who <laughs> go on. Well, yeah, quite. <laughs> had to sort of 
the, the mental discipline that it took Rosberg to win mm. the championship in, in 2016 was extraordinary. And he's spoken about it a lot. And the way he just had to, you know, keep telling himself, that, keep telling the journalist stuff, keep telling himself to convince himself that that was the case, to convince himself that he was able to do it. And even then, the self-doubt was, was still there a little bit towards the end. And he, he says that's why he didn't get a pole in the last four or five races, because he had a big championship lead and, and got sort of, you know, frightened by it a little bit you know and spooked by it so you 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 compare that necessity of mental strength and discipline to Leclerc's just very casual honest Leclerc's like he's a 70s racing driver you know it's almost (laughs) like that kind of mindset of oh yeah I messed up or or a bit like Damon Hill Damon Hill was always quite you know self-critical and I just don't understand how that can win him a, a championship in today's world like i say I, I this has ended up being quite a long rant and uh, you're fine to edit it down but it, it's uh i just don't understand it when he's the sort of antithesis of everything that you expect a modern racing driver to say and 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 and, and what you expect a modern driver's mental approach and state to be it's a really interesting point and that rosberg analogy was actually very good i i enjoyed <laughs> it because I mean, that is like an extreme example of that, isn't it? I mean, that almost one of the most mentally taxing seasons I can think of maybe until last year's season for obvious reasons for a driver. And I can't help but wonder whether it's almost like a Ferrari-specific thing. Everything at Ferrari just seems to work differently, whether it's the team and, you know, we'll talk about some of the pit wall stuff a little bit later or whatever. But I wonder if that almost makes, makes him, maybe we'll find this out at the end of his career, the ideal Ferrari driver in the sense he's got this built-in attitude whereby... He kind of absorbs some of that pressure himself by not having to deflect mistakes as, you know, inevitably saying, well, the team did this, whatever, because he can't accept that there were mistakes on his side. You know, it'd be very easy for him to have come out of that crash and accepted responsibility, but said, oh, well, you know, I'm only a third of the points lost because of me. What about all these other points? I'd still have the lead of the championship maybe without this crash. I wonder whether... That's the driver, weirdly, Ferrari needs. I mean, had it been Fernando Alonso, for example, I mean, my goodness, he'd, we know how that ended already. Imagine if it was happening again. I don't know. Maybe there's something in that being the right guy for the right moment. But on the other hand, he's down to the championship. But Alonso wouldn't have crashed, would he? No, well, that's the thing, no. Like, I, I, like a point. You know what I mean? I, I, I entirely take yeah. your point on board, but Alonso's not putting it in the wall there. Mm. Hamilton's not putting it in the wall there. Verstappen's not putting it in the wall there i don't think russell and norris are putting it in the wall there and this isn't to, i really really think leclerc's fantastic and tremendous but um yeah it it, it I, I know what you're saying and, and i think in some ways it's it's it, i enjoy the honor well in a lot mm-hmm. of ways i really enjoy the honesty because he's going into that the interviews after the race and he knows that the questions are going to be do you deserve to win the championship if you make mistakes like this you know mm-hmm. that's the kind of question that those baddies in the <laughs> in the press conference will ask you know um or you horrible journalists will ask <laughs> things like that and be like have you thrown the title away blah 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 and he's answering those questions always before they're asked and he's not just giving the sort of yeah difficult day mistake from my side but you know we go again in hungary which is what basically what Matteo Bonotto said mm-hmm. after the race he was just like yep yeah, that was the best we could do with science but we're going to get a one-two in Hungary. That's our focus now, you know, looking forward, blah, 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 blah. So I enjoy that Leclerc 
has that honesty, but it's just so different. So on that then, because the the question has been raised, obviously in the last twenty four hours, you know, is is Leclerc a crash prone driver? Is that where this has come from? We remember when he was younger, he did tend to bin it a lot, but I guess he was a young driver and he's always been the guy who's at the limit straight away. Quite a contrast to Sainz, for example, who builds up over the course of the weekend. Or is it too cute to say that the pressure it was a pressure act? You know, we'd love to say that in sport that uh, you know he's cracking under the pressure or whatever. Or is it just that it's a psychology thing? Where do you think this specific crash came from? If this is going to be the defining moment of the title, I think I think it's got I think it's got to be a I think it's got to be a pressure thing. I think it's got to be because that lap mm. for, again, I, 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 maybe you, I, it seemed like it was an in lap. I, I, I don't know mm-hmm. for sure, but it seemed like we were in that stage of the Grand Prix where it was you know we need everything now if we're going to win and. In the middle of the corner at turn 11, he's just pu- pu- just pushing too hard. It's as simple as that. The car doesn't... You know, when Sainz and Verstappen went off in um, Spain, and, you know, it was a, a gust of wind <laughs> and unsettled the car on entry, and there we go. Leclerc was just mid-corner and just overcooked it because he was pushing too hard. It is just as simple as that. And I think that's got to be down to... to pressure i think there's no other way of looking at it because it was just a mistake from him in the middle of a corner you know getting back on the power which he hasn't done all weekend but then in the one time he's he's really pushing then he does make that mistake it it can only be pressure and i think that that's why it's so interesting that he still then kind of then takes the pressure on and builds more pressure on himself after the race by saying I don't deserve the championship mm-hmm. if if I spin like this. So I I, th- I think it's the only answer, really. It's going to be really interesting. I don't know. Maybe another analogy we'll make sometime down the line is with Sebastian Vettel. I've seen that analogy with his mm. German crash in twenty eighteen. Was it twenty seventeen? Yeah, 19? but even even then, like I agree, eighteen. Even then, I agree. But it was really tricky conditions. It was yes. raining. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if he was still on slicks or they'd just gone on to inters. But mm-hmm. you know, at least it was tricky conditions and he made a mistake under pressure in in terms of you know just pushing too hard in the in the wet but when was the last time a driver spun out of the lead of the race Mm. in dry conditions all by themselves i don't i don't know the answer but i it's got to be you know hackenen in imola you know in the in the late 90s or or damon hill dropped it a couple of times i think in the in the mid 90s as well but it's such a rare Occurrence. It's such a rare occurrence for any driver to spin out of a Grand Prix these days. When's, when do drivers just spin? Yeah. Drivers don't spin. Like, that's not a thing that, that happens in the middle of a Grand Prix. Also, you know, again, in the 90s it happened. Oh, Diniz has just spun off all by himself or Norberto Fontana has or something. But these days, drivers don't just spin in the, in the middle of races. And so it's very, very strange. Very great impression of Charles Leclerc there. You sound like you're giving a post-race press conference. <laughs> Very strange. Drivers don't do this. Let's talk about Ferrari from the broader perspective. I'm feeling bad. I feel bad for Charles Leclerc. There you go. We've said it enough. Oh, he said same, it all yeah. himself anyway. So, you know, it's all done. On the other side of the garage, you know, obviously one side of the garage, very... Very morose, I suppose. The other side, I suppose, maybe ambivalent, maybe a little bit pleased. Hard to say. They finished fifth. Carlos Sainz finished fifth from 19th from that power unit penalty. But 
as is the Ferrari way, certainly in the last month or two, even then there was a little bit of unhappiness in the way everything was executed. Now, we all know that, for example, radio messages on, on the TV broadcast are not timed for the moment that they happen. But you also have to say the way that Carlos Sainz responded to being told to pit while he was passing Sergio Perez suggests he must have been pretty close to the move. It can't have been too well delayed. And that just, you know, before we sort of talk about some of the specifics of this, feels like... That just feels like Ferrari of the last month, doesn't it? Particularly considering only a couple of laps before they'd said themselves it was too late to pit, but then suddenly that was the moment to pit. I mean, is that uh, we could cut it so many other ways? Is it just flustered from the race they'd had? Is that just what Ferrari is like? The last months? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> it's, the last, it's been the last decade, hasn't it? This Ferrari yeah. nonsense strategy. What was mm-hmm. the one? You know, how many times in 2019 did Ferrari do weird strategy things? And, you know, wasn't there one race where I'm sure it was qualifying and they lined up at the end of the pit lane and the track was bone dry and they were on intermediates yes. or something like that? I Japan? can't remember when that was. Yeah, I want to say it was Japan, something like that. And you're just like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. The Ferrari strategy department has been an absolute carnage <laughs> for, for for years now. It's not just the last couple of months, in my in my personal opinion. And then every time it's, oh, there's going to be an overhaul. And then nothing ever really seems to change. Um, the science stuff, you, you're correct in that when we get the TV pictures, sorry, when we get the TV radio, there is a delay. But my my sort of um, prediction is that it came, you know, it was played out in the last mm-hmm. few corners. So my prediction is that that radio message came as science comes onto the Mistral straight out of turn six. And the team are like, right, he's on the straight now. You know, let's give him some radio message. And that's the time he's got DRS and he's, you know, trying to overtake Perez into the chicane. So I think, or, or, or up into senior. Because I think, you know, about a 30 second delay that would be, which seems about mm-hmm. right. So I think... You're right in that science was fighting with... But it, it's not even... So, firstly... Well, so, oh. <laughs> well, firstly... Firstly, the whole reason they... Um, science was in this kind of weird position was because they absolutely messed up his pit stop. Like, yes. on so many levels. The mm-hmm. car was in the... And whether they were flustered because Leclerc had literally just crashed out and that's what brought out the safety car, which brought... Um, or the VSC, no, it was a full safety car, mm-hmm. um, which brought science into the pits, but the rear left was slow going on, and then it was all clear, and he got the green light, but the car was still up on the jacks, so the wheel started spinning, and then he got lowered off the jacks, and then he fired out in front of Albon in what was like a really, really, normally unsafe releases, you're like, oh, that was a bit close. Mm-hmm. This one was really quite sketchy, because the McLaren, everyone was out in the pit lane, and I didn't like it at all. A really, really unsafe release. So he's already had a botched pit stop, which has cost, which was slow, and has given him a five-second time penalty. That's why his then next pit stop is super slow. That's why they're having to worry about building that five-second gap once he's ahead of uh, Perez. It's like, okay, well, track position isn't enough. We need to build a five-second gap. And even that whole discussion beforehand was basically, I can't get past Perez, so let's pit. Okay, great, sensible. No issue with that. 100% right decision from Zainz. And the team agree. And then suddenly he passes Perez, and so they pit him. And you're like, well, why have we just spent the last... Why have we just spent the last 10 laps trying to get past Perez if then when we do get the track position, we pit, and then we're 30 seconds back and never going to catch him again? So what was the point in even racing him? 
What was the mm-hmm. point? Like, what, 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 what were Ferrari trying to achieve with that? And even science afterwards, like, what did we... And Bonotto afterwards, he was, you know, he said he was, we, you know, we were never going to build the gap to Perez, blah, blah, blah. But they went from a scenario where they're... Worst, so worst case scenario, if he stays out ahead of Perez, tries to hang on with the tyres, can't quite do it. Worst case scenario, he's fifth. Best case scenario, he's third because he's ahead mm-hmm. of um, Russell at the time, isn't he? Mm-hmm. So you've gone best case scenario, third, worst case scenario, fifth, if you leave him out. By pitting him, suddenly your best case scenario is fifth. That's, that's the highest you can achieve. And worst case scenario is... Well, also fifth, to be honest, because mm-hmm. he was never really going to get stuck behind Alonso and all of that stuff. But you're like, why? Why are we? Why are we doing? Like, what? what it's just baffling to me. If he can't, if he was in fifth when he was in fifth, couldn't get past the cars ahead. Yeah, fine, pit him. Guarantee fifth. You know, don't have to worry about the tires. All done. Once you've got up into, well, no, I think he was fourth at the time, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Once you get up into third, you're like, well, why? Honestly, baffling. And all of that miscommunication. They even told him the wrong. He had yes. the wrong the wrong yeah. penalty. They even said you've got a five second stop go, and he had to be on the radio. <laughs> no, it's a it's a time penalty. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's um it's unbelievable. And I've you know we've spent on our podcast like just months and months just slating Ferrari, and not out of any sense of enjoyment. I enjoy a rant a little bit, but <laughs> but it's just but you don't want to have to mm. be. But but every race you just you just got your head in your hands. You just got your head in your hands. It's really interesting. There are a couple of different things I want to pull out of that. One is that this is the th- maybe third or fourth time, could be even more, who knows, that science has really had an upper hand on the radio. And I found that very impressive. You know, he's one of those guys who seems to have a lot of brain capacity for this kind of thing. The fact he yeah. even could have calculated, I mean, the penalty made sense that, that he knew what that was, but the fact that even he could correct that seems really impressive. And But then on the other hand, maybe it's just impressive only in relation to what he's getting back on the radio. Maybe all these things he's saying are extremely obvious, but <laughs> that that seems like it seems really wasted, doesn't it, of that team. But the other thing, on the Ferrari, I, I understand what you're saying. Like For years, it has been a Ferrari thing, right? Like The strategies have all been borderline ridiculous, uh, often throwing away big points. But I can't help but think... You know, the start of this season, I'm thinking back to the first few races, you know, in Bahrain, they played some good strategies. Uh, you know, they're in the race in, in Saudi Arabia, even in Imola, where I know ultimately cost Leclerc some points to pit late, but because he spun off. But it was a really aggressive, like, forward-leaning strategy. They were taking a gamble, still early in the championship, all that kind of stuff. But ever since, and I'm sort of looking at my calendar now, I'm probably around Monaco time, I'm going to say, it swung, and that's when they were starting to lose points in the title as well, it swung towards this really stale conservatism in strategy. Like, they don't try anything. Like, science is strategy. I kind of understand the logic of what they were doing there, right? Like, they would have started the race from 19. They were like, fifth would be great. We'd love it to finish fifth. And they're like, oh, look, there's a great opportunity here to finish fifth. Let's just lock in fifth, even though third, as you said, was right there on the table worth a risk. And it almost feels like Ferrari hasn't registered that they are really far behind in the standings. They're behaving like a team that's sort of still in the fight. And Maybe it's because they've had so many years of being slated for being wacky that now they're like, well, no, we can't possibly take a risk. So I think the interesting part here is, to me, sometimes they go for risks, Mm -hmm. sometimes they go conservative, but it's always wrong, (laughs) right? They always do the wrong thing in that in that in that mm. time and you know i had i had some sympathy with them in 
in Monaco a little bit where they were conservative mm-hmm. because, you know, on paper, it's Monaco. You're in the lead of the race. Yeah. You can't overtake. Play it conservative, you know? But they got it wrong. And Leclerc, instead of winning, finishes fourth. And as you pointed out, science on the radio in Monaco was like, no, guys, mm-hmm. we're staying out. We're just going, we're going, you know, full wets to dries or, or whatever the, the, the switch was. Whereas some of the others were coming into intermediates and doing other stops and stuff. So, but you're right in that now suddenly it's gone really conservative. And, you know, the, Leclerc could have won the British Grand Prix, mm-hmm. should have won the British Grand Prix if Ferrari had done their strategy properly. And there's just so many occasions where whether they go aggressive or defensive, it, it sort of ends up being wrong either way and that's where you know it's sort of you know damned if you do damned if you don't a little bit but also you know red bull when was the last time red bull got Mm -hmm. a strategy wrong i've got no idea i've got nothing leaps to mind nothing at all you know there's a few times mercedes got their strategy wrong in um in in their sort of dominant years and okay they had such a big advantage to the rest of the field that they could have got it wrong and still won the race and we wouldn't have really known but Mm -hmm. but ferrari it's just it's just non-stop and yeah i i I take your point about the the that they've sort of gone conservative a bit more and 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 maybe that's true and maybe that's the sort of the mindset that they're that they're they're having to take now but again it and look carlos science getting fifth is not but it's the whole Carlos Sainz getting fifth is neither here nor there, but it was the whole process of those mm-hmm. radio messages that was just that was just it's just it's disarray. That's disarray. Like there's no did they do the right decision? Did they do the wrong decision? I don't care. It's that mess mm-hmm. on the radio that that is the sign of a a department that is completely all over the shop. Not title contenders. I mean, points obviously uh, against them, but is this a title contending team? Well, just no, because they have a they have the fastest car over one lap, and they're not in title contention. So, how can they be a title contending mm-hmm. team? Or by what metric can you can you can you call them that? I'm sure there's one. It's probably just in a different language. <laughs> uh, look, let's wrap up a couple of other things before we wrap this one up because they were, of course, the major talking points. I do want to talk about Mercedes though, because this was even though I didn't want to say it too much in the lead up to this race sort of a race they'd hoped that maybe they could have won maybe if everything sort of clicked ended up being that they were more off the pace certainly in qualifying than they have been recently and could have expected I thought it was really interesting how happy Lewis Hamilton was to finish second and George Russell third I mean George Russell feels like he's sometimes he's happy to be there and that's not a criticism he's just that kind of guy it's like that meme that's been going around <laughs> on Twitter um but I, I thought that was interesting because it sort of struck me that this was a really, like, pace management race. You know, once that safety car happened, we had this massive stint. Everyone was just kind of getting to the end. Finished 10 seconds behind, which is sort of not massive, not tiny. But in a more regular race, it seems like it would have been way bigger. What, why do you think it was that, you know, with a, still, I would say, a fairly off-the-pace race, that they were just so pumped? I, I actually have no mm. idea. Yeah. Like, I just, so, like... You know, great, it's great. It's great points for the team mm. in, the, in the team's championship. You know, and what are they? 30, 44 points yeah. behind mm. Ferrari in the in the constructors' championship. So Mercedes are closer to Ferrari in the constructors' championship than Leclerc is to Verstappen in the drivers' championship. I mean, what a nonsense that is. Russell's <laughs> one point behind Carlos Sainz. It's just, it's just unbelievable. But to me, Mercedes were not very 
Mercedes were just absolutely fine in mm-hmm. France. And that's about it. Because they... Oh, they're much better in race pace, people have been saying. Yeah. Really? Based on based on mm-hmm. what? Based on the fact that Verstappen and Leclerc would have been miles up the road. If Sainz hadn't started at the back, he would have been miles up the road because he was way quicker than Russell. Sergio Perez had a really rubbish race, to be honest. So, okay, mm-hmm. they managed to beat Perez, but that doesn't really count for anything when you're so far behind Verstappen. So any normal Grand Prix, they're finishing fourth and fifth. But because... Science had his penalty, but because of Ferrari mm-hmm. and uh, and Perez not doing well, suddenly they're second and third. It it doesn't mean. And look, Hamilton's on a great run of form and the only driver to be on the podium the last four races. And this, but this is the right. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. Mercedes are always getting the best result they can. There's no doubt about that. They, you know, operationally they're so slick, so good that they're always there when things go wrong for Ferrari, and that's pretty much where all of hamilton's podiums have have come from you know third in third in uh canada because leclerc had to start at the back third in silverstone because leclerc and ferrari messed up their strategy okay third in austria leclerc won but then third in france because leclerc crashed out of the race or second in france because leclerc crashed out so mercedes just maximize everything they have even though they don't have a lot at the moment but i don't see france as some it feels like some people saw it as some kind of Mm -hmm breakthrough in race pace and that they can compete but I, I don't think it was that at all and you you saw you saw Hamilton and Russell's reaction but Toto Wolf was still like yeah car's rubbish <laughs> and that's you know that's all he kind of cares about which I which I admire yeah I think so I, I was a little bit surprised afterwards I was hoping that they'd at least have a sort of better fist of it this weekend yeah. but I was surprised by how much you know, excitement there seemed to be about Hamilton finishing a pretty conservative 10 seconds off the pace yeah. and Russell just beating Perez. And Perez, as you said, terrible weekend. Yeah. So, feeling very surplus to requirements at the moment, Sergio Perez, I suspect. And that's probably the way it's going to go. Jack, last year, uh, towards the second half of the season, I was asking people where they thought this championship was going to end and how it was going to end. I don't know. I'm sort of toying with this idea. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. What race will this championship end? 63 so the thing is i don't i don't think it's gonna grow mm. i don't think the lead will grow much yes. bigger than this it's like surely surely leclerc will win a couple of races verstappen will win a couple i will go for i think i'm only gonna go for because you think to to win right i think i'm gonna go um austin i think austin because i think that that's 70 what's that 78 points on the table after Austin. So mm-hmm. Verstappen having a 78-point lead with three races to go is what he would need to do. So I'll go Austin. All right. Even that, actually, that, that I, can't, I can't imagine that Verstappen's going to be 79 points clear of Leclerc come Austin because the Ferrari's so quick. But, okay, I changed my mind. Mexico, Mexico, Mexico. Mexico. You, give, you give yourself one more grace period for yeah, a race. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. Exactly. That's acceptable. Look, he's still got engine penalties to serve. I think that's the sort of... Oh, on the current yeah. of everything, isn't oh. it? There's going to be engine penalty. So I think that's fair. Look, that's all right. Not convinced we'll continue this very brief segment. But look, if we do, we'll see where we're running. Well, if you up. don't continue it, then I've won, right? Well, yeah, I, got I guess closest. so. It's a shame there's no prize involved. Satisfaction. <laughs> when the championship's <laughs> yeah. won in Mexico, you can feel a little bit better. So that's fine. That's fine. I, I rarely get, um, you know, much professional satisfaction in life anyway. So... <laughs> This will be great. This will be a great fillet for me. Well, look, Jack, I'm, I apologise that this was the French Grand Prix you came on for, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Thank you so much for joining me on the Strategy Report. No problem. It's always been my favourite Grand Prix, so, <laughs> so it's a pleasure to be here. 
was only two weeks ago we were talking about Ferrari finally getting its season back on track, only for that hope for a close finish to blow up in the face of Formula 1 fans everywhere. It's not over, of course. There are still 10 races and a tricky final flyaway leg to go this season, but Leclerc is going to need a very healthy slice of luck to reassert himself into the campaign. And until then, he's just got to keep winning. Thanks very much to Jack Nichols for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll be back next week to debrief the Hungarian Grand Prix.